0: Please prepare your hearts for the reading of the scriptures. Our scripture reading today is Acts 2, 36-39. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Good morning, Painador. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you all. I'm glad to be here with you on this strangely warm December morning. Our fair city actually seems to be giving a gentle Welcome, providing a gentle landing for myself and my family. We spent nine days in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico uh, over the Christmas holiday so in your face for that. Um, And we got back on Thursday night uh, and have discovered that Chicago is rather gentle to us all now in the temperature department as we transition back into winter. Uh, My entire family was in Puerto Vallarta. Um, Myself, my wife, my kids, my parents, my siblings, their spouses, their kids. We had quite a crew, and we rented a Mexican villa, how do you say that, villa, villa? Um, in Old Town Vallarta, a three-story villa built into the hillside overlooking Old Town Vallarta, and it was a spectacular structure. It had a center garden atrium that wound its way all the way from the bottom floor into the sky, and so there never really seemed to be a moment when you were inside, when you were in the structure. It was sort of a testimony to year-round warmth, indoor-outdoor living. You could make your way all the way from the ground floor to the rooftop, hop into the rooftop pool, look out over the unobstructed views of Banderas Bay. All of this is just completely to rub your noses in how glorious my holiday time away was. There was so much beauty, so much warmth. And it wasn't just from the setting. Also, another highlight from the trip was seeing the cousins connect so beautifully. My children connect to all of their cousins. My daughter, I'm sure you know, Fiona, my oldest daughter, wrote and directed her own adaptation of the classic holiday film, Elf, while we were there. And this particular version starred my oldest son, Micah, as Buddy the Elf. It starred my daughter, Avery, as the long-lost parental figure that Buddy travels to Mexico to reunite (laughs) with. It starred my little niece as the love interest. And she also played in the infamous shower scene, if you're familiar with the movie elf all of it included my brother-in-law was the department store manager and all of the little cousins were all of the children so eager to interact with and meet with Santa fake Santa of course played by yours truly complete with shots of whiskey at all and this film was completely edited and ready to go by Christmas day and so we were able to watch the finished version of elf with all of our cousins and family starring in it directed and produced Produced by our own Fiona Bergen on Christmas Day. A glorious time of cousin delight. And the cousin delight was typified by that. My uh, youngest son, Bodie, got to know his cousin, Owen, my brother's youngest, quite well. My brother's son quite well. Um, And they became quite close over the course of the trip. Such that when we left, my brother texted me that Owen said immediately, and I quote, I miss Bodie already, we talked about butts. <laughs> so, lots of glorious cousin time together. So it was a special time, a trip that my kids will never forget, I'm, I am quite sure. But what I will most remember about the trip uh, actually has nothing to do with the beauty and the warmth of the setting, has nothing to do with the beautiful connections that took place between the cousins. What I'm gonna remember most is the conversations that I got to have with my siblings, my brother and my sister. It's actually remarkable the kind of conversations that we were able to have. It's a testimony to the way that God Works. I wasn't anticipating these conversations, um, though I was somewhat hopeful that something like this might happen. Some of you know I've been taking a deep dive over the past year or so into some of the life events in my story that have most shaped me. And it just so happens that my brother and my sister have been doing that on about the same schedule and that is something of a miracle uh, because we are different ages uh, and we have never been that close though we've always been friendly and have enjoyed one another's company we all became Christians either in our late teens or in adulthood and since then have worked out our story in Christ in very different ways, in different cities, without a lot of overlap. We all came to Christ despite not really looking for faith. Our lives were interrupted in various ways, in very different ways, actually, in very different circumstances. And the stories of our life in Christ have played out with very different Timelines, And so for us to come together now and all be in a place where we were willing and ready to engage on some of the most difficult wounds and hard things in our lives is a testimony to God's timing, to his patience, to his forbearance with us. We talked till 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning on s- several nights, um, connecting over really hard things, actually, things that we've never talked about before, sharing things with each other that we've never shared before. It was vulnerable, it was tender, at times, it was really difficult, and it was profoundly healing. Mm. And all of this happening. In the middle of a place in the world where people from our country might most often go to escape we were doing the opposite in a very real sense we were engaging on those things that we are most prone to escape from or to want to escape from I can see things in my life Now that I wasn't able to see even one or two years ago that enabled me to engage in this new way. But as I began to engage with my brother and my sister, it became clear that I can't actually see all the things I need to see without them looking with me. And so for them to be in this place where they are willing and eager to engage and to look and vice versa... That's never been true before for any of us, and it was sweet and rich. And I share all that because I want all of you to see that God is always doggedly working to bring life to his children. There are moments in our stories when we can glimpse that work, when we can see that he's up to something or that he's been up to something over a long period of time. But I think most of our lives are spent not really knowing what he's up to, not really understanding. Is he even working? Is he even present? What is the purpose of this particular moment or circumstance of our life? We can be very disoriented and confused. And then we get these small sweet moments where we glimpse that God has been working all the while, that he has been moving decades like tectonic plates into position so that people and stories might find a kind of alignment where we could see, where we could see something profound about who he is, about who we are, about the work that he means to do in our lives. But God is always doing this. He's always doing this, even in the times when we can't see, He is working. And then in the times when we can, we can look back and we can notice, ah, that's what He was up to there. That's why this moved the way it did. That's why He shaped me in that way. This is the work that He is doing. And He is at work now. I want you to know that. In whatever circumstances of life that you presently find yourself in, even if you cannot see the ways in which he is at work, he is. Faith is patiently waiting for those things to be revealed. We spent this Advent season stirring up longing in our hearts. That's what we were doing over the season of Advent. That's the Christian devotion, the Christian occupation that we are meant to engage in over the course of Advent. It's to stir up the longing that the entire world actually feels. Whether the world acknowledges it or ignores it, the entire world senses this deep and abiding longing to be rescued from something. The whole world knows that it needs rescue. Each individual person knows that we need rescue. It's this longing that makes people fly to places like Vallarta for escape in order to turn down the noise of the longing, but it still haunts our dreams and hovers over our stories no matter how much we try to anesthetize ourselves or turn down the volume. The whole world knows that it needs to be saved. We long to be rescued, to be set free. We read the words of the Apostle Peter throughout the Advent season And he told us where this freedom actually comes from. Where it is that this longing of all of our hearts, that this longing of the world is actually fulfilled. He said that the Lord will come like a thief. That is to say the Lord will come to steal away all of those false things that rob us from real life. That's where the fulfillment of our longing comes from. It comes from the Lord rescuing us from all of the false things that we use to try and quiet or fill that longing. See, Peter, he knew well what it was to be a slave to darkness, a slave in darkness, a slave to his own Folly, to his own failures. He wanted very much. To be a person who could demonstrate his loyalty to his friend Jesus. You all know the story, I'm sure. At the most important and defining hour of Jesus' life, the Apostle Peter denied his friend. He rejected Jesus. He denied even knowing the man. I never knew the man, he said. At his greatest hour of testing, Peter failed the test because he was enslaved to his own darkness. He was enslaved to the darkness of self-preservation. He was enslaved to this notion that enslaves us all, wherein we take up the occupation of fighting for our own survival. He could not follow where love was leading because he was not free to follow where love was leading. He was still fighting to uphold his own life, still fighting to find his own happiness, to make something of himself, to preserve something of himself. And so he couldn't walk fully into that place of love. He was a slave to his own fear. And so he denied his Jesus on the night of his trial, three times, and then abandons Jesus as his dear friend goes to the cross And is executed unjustly. But something happened to Peter after that. After feeling the weight of his failure. After weeping over the darkness that enslaved him. He encounters Jesus again. We read that in the New Testament. And this time when Peter encounters Jesus, he encounters a resurrected Jesus. Jesus. Which is to say he encounters a Jesus who proves that his greatest failures and sins had no power. Jesus went to the cross because of sin. He went to the cross on account of sin. He went to the cross for sin, sin like that of Peter, actually the sin of us all, the sin of establishing ourselves in the world, the sin of living independently, living apart from Jesus, forsaking the way of love in order to preserve our own way and fight for our own happiness and survival. Jesus went to the cross for sin such as that, and yet in the resurrected Jesus, Peter encounters a man who proves that all of that sin and darkness, all of the sin and self-preservation and folly that enslaves us, has no Power in the face of the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus gets out of the grave to prove to you, to prove to me, and to prove to Peter that our best efforts to divide ourselves from God, our greatest rebellions, our attempts to turn our back on him have not succeeded. He has overcome our rebellion in his resurrection and he stands now before us with nothing between us that has not been canceled. No record of debt that has not been buried in the ground. He has come to call us again into friendship in the face of all of our rejection of him, of all of our attempts to be rid of him. He is back again saying, your rebellion, your sin has no power to destroy this bond between you and me. Jesus stands before Peter testifying to this reality that the chains that bind us all have no power to resist him. Nothing that we have done, church, and nothing that has been done to us can stand in the way of Christ coming for us. That is the testimony of the Advent. That is the testimony of the cross. That is the testimony of the resurrection. None of it has power to stand in the face of Christ Jesus. The longing of the world to be free of its darkness is realized in him. He is light. And no darkness can stand before him. Just 50 days after his denial of Christ... Just seven weeks after Peter's greatest failure, his most shameful moment, a transformed Peter stands up in Jerusalem, full of the Spirit of God, and proclaims to the masses gathered there, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter announces, the light has come. The fulfillment of our longing is here. God has made him both Lord and Christ. Both our King and our Savior. The one who will reign over us and guide us into all goodness and truth, and the one who will heal the depths of our sorrow and brokenness. King and Savior, ruler and healer, Lord and Christ. And not even the most heinous form of execution ever devised by mankind can stand in the way and keep this light from shining into our darkness. We crucified him, Peter says, and yet he reigns. He rules. He heals. He breaks in. He restores. He redeems. He loves in the face of our great rebellion. He doggedly Pursues us, comes for us. He is Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, that is all the masses that were gathered there in Jerusalem, the masses that had come when they heard the rushing sound like a wind, the Spirit of God descending at Pentecost and filling all flesh. People from every tribe and nation had gathered. And when they heard what Peter said, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What a question. This is the question of salvation. What now? If you are here today because your heart is pierced, if you are here today because you know that you are a person of need, if you are here today because you know that you long to be saved, if you're asking, what shall I do? Hear me. You're home. You're already home. That is a question sincerely asked only by those who are being saved. Only by those who are encountering the light. Only by those who are seeing Jesus. Who are awakening to the one who is Lord and Christ. So Peter answers the question of the crowds. He answers our question accordingly. He said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He says, you're alive. You've been saved. So be baptized. Receive the sacrament of Christ's Lordship, receive the healing of His forgiveness, be filled with His Spirit. Let all that you are now be swept up in Him. When you feel the piercing of Christ's presence in your life, when you see that your sin and folly has not kept His love at bay, then let down every defense and be caught up in Him in all fullness. This is what he came into the world to do, to save us from ourselves completely, to catch us up into him completely. And not only us, but our children, our entire families, every person who is lost in darkness. It does not matter whether you have claimed to be a Christian before or not. All that matters is light breaking into darkness this is the work of God to save us from the snares of hurt and sin to set us free to be the people we were made to be his people that's who we were made to be we were never made to belong to ourselves we were never made to find our own way We were never made to struggle and scratch and claw to find some happiness on our own. It was never our assignment to fashion a life for ourselves. We were always made to be His people, to live connected to Him, to live in Him, to be all in with Him, to be sustained by His light, by His love, in His strength, in His wisdom. C.S. Lewis, in his great book, Mere Christianity, writes, what Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods. Lewis says, from the beginning, people believed the lie that they could be like gods. That is to say that they could orient their own Lives around their own desires, find their own way, take care of themselves, know what is best for themselves, lead themselves. This is the great trap of evil. Lewis says it's the great idea that Satan put into our minds that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God, and out of that hopeless attempt has come the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. There is no escape from our deepest longing. There is no place we can go, no warm sand that we can bury our head into, No ocean breeze that will come and sweep away this deep and abiding longing to be connected to God. The deepest longing of our hearts, we were made for God. And he is patiently, graciously interrupting us in every moment. He is flooding our darkness with light. With Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've not left us in our independent striving and folly, but that you interrupt our stories, you interrupt our lives. I thank you for the way that you are doing that in every story in this room. I pray for your spirit to grant long-suffering to those who would lose heart, to those who are fighting to see or understand why they are where they are. Lord, would you kindly give some glimpse of your work in our lives? Would you hold us in that place as you carry out your purposes? And would you lead us to the place where we can see your glorious light. Lord, save us from ourselves. Save us from the darkness that binds us. Rescue us together as a church family, I pray for the sake of your name in this city and beyond. We ask it in your name. Amen.